Hey, this is Abby Sachek. Welcome to the New Culture Church podcast. Our vision is to create the culture of Christ in Madison, one person, one place at a time. We believe this happens through being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did. And we hope that the teachings and the content you find here will help you do just that. We also know that these are trying times. So if you need anything at all, please reach out to us through our website. We would love to connect with you. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Today, well, happy Sunday, everyone. If we have not met yet, my name is Abby and I am the pastor here. And I'm so excited to be getting into the word again today. So we have been in a sermon series here at New Culture called The Table, where we have been looking at different meals that Jesus had with different people. And we're talking about who did Jesus invite to the table? When Jesus, the Son of God, was here walking in the flesh here on earth, who did he choose to spend time with? Who did he surround himself with? And then what happened during that time? So we are going to be reading in John chapter 21 today. But before we get there, we have one kind of more announcement that I just wanted to share a little bit more about. So we have been sharing that on December 3rd, we are going to be taking a big give, like miracle offering at the end of the year. And this offering, we have set a goal to raise quite a bit of money to give back to some of the needs in our community. And so I just want to encourage you guys today to be praying about how God would have you give and what he would have you give. Um, so one of the things that we are going to be supporting locally is the Neighborhood House, which is just down the street from us on Mills Street off of Regent. And they have way too many kids than they could possibly imagine that are signing up that could need some help providing families, providing Christmas gifts for their children. And so one of the examples we wanted to share this week is every $50 that you give, that is covering gifts for a child and their Christmas presents. And so if you're thinking like, what are the different specific things of maybe ask like, okay, how many kids could I purchase gifts for? What does that look like? And what I love about what the Neighborhood House does is I think a lot of times it's really good for us when we have things left over to give and to be intentional of, you know, okay, if we have extra clothes, where do we donate those things? But what's really special about this is the kids are putting in their wish list and then they're using that money to buy them like exactly what they want and to give them go above and beyond like their best, not just the leftovers, but to really bless them with those specific things. And so I just want to invite you to really pray and ask God to challenge you this Christmas season of what can I give as we raise money as a church and as a community to give towards these Christmas gifts, to give towards some of our global missions work and things like that. So with that, we're going to start reading in John chapter 21. We're reading today in verse 15. And it says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt now because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would go, would do to glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. 
Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loves was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that the disciples would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if you want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that this testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Let's pray again today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the way that you continue to speak to us, that today, even in this room so many years later, that we can read your word, that we can hear your voice, that we can experience and encounter your presence. And so we thank you for that, God. And so we just take a minute now to just breathe deep and to just release anything that we came in here carrying. And we invite you, Lord, as we breathe in to just come and to speak and to move Would you come and would you use this word to change us, transform us more into your likeness, who you've created us to be? We ask this, God, in your holy, mighty, wonderful name. Amen. Amen. So this story that we just read in John 21, it's the last thing that John writes in his gospel, which is where he finishes, where he's saying, like, there's so much more that I could tell you, so much more, but there's not even enough, like, pages in the world to begin or books to fill with all the things that I have done. And there's so much that's special about this. And this takes place directly after the story that we taught about and talked about last week, where it was this miraculous catch of fish, where Jesus appeared to his disciples and he saw them fishing and they were laying their nets on one side of the boat and they were catching nothing. And Jesus came with these very specific instructions. He said, hey, move the nets over here. And when Jesus was there, all of a sudden they were able to catch a miraculous amount of fish, 153. It was like they were falling over, couldn't keep them in the net. So what we see here is that when Jesus returned to his disciples, that there was both this communal invitation and call to go and to make disciples, but it was also really individual. That he took time to appear to the disciples in different pockets and different groups and and numbers and communities. He showed up at their workplace where they were fishing and he's saying, hey, you're all called to come and make disciples. And he made it clear too that, that he was coming to then reach all people. But there's something so beautiful now where it says that Jesus was sitting down with Peter after he had eaten, after they had had this meal, and he's having now this really personal conversation with Peter, this individual moment. And I believe that in the same way that Jesus did that with Peter, that he wants to do that with you tonight. That although we're sitting in this room and there's this beautiful communal call that an invitation that we have to be with Jesus, that he also wants to speak to you today through his word in a very specific way. You see, Jesus was showing up time and time again and having these conversations. And this conversation that he had with Peter, I can imagine, brought up a lot of things for Peter. I often think about this moment and think what it would be like to be a fly on the wall when Peter encounters Jesus in this type of way. You see, Jesus at the Last Supper, he predicted that Peter was going to deny him. And Peter denied that he was going to deny him. And then Jesus comes and and is, is reappearing and he's seeing Peter again after Peter did, in fact, deny Jesus. And he denied him three times and he denied that that he knew him and all of those things. And so I can only imagine what it was like to be 
be Peter in this moment when he's seeing Jesus face to face again and having this conversation in that moment of like, you know what I did. I know that you know what I happened and what I did. Just that like moment. But yet in this, Jesus is asking this question personally, intimately, individually. Peter, do you love me? And even then, Peter's kind of shifting things. He's like, well, what about this person? What about that? And he's like, that's not what I'm asking in this moment. What I'm asking is, do you love me? What this shows me in this moment is that wherever you sit today, whatever you came in here carrying, that there is still an invitation for you to come close to Jesus. If there was anybody that you could look and think would start to count themselves out from the call and the invitation, it would be Peter. Peter was one of the first people to declare him as Christ, and then he denied him as Christ, and now he's sitting here having this meal again with Jesus, and the invitation is still there for him to come and to follow. And do you notice some of Jesus' last words to Peter are, come and follow me? And what were some of his first words to Peter? Come and follow me. You haven't run out of chances here today. So maybe you walked into this place and you're like, I haven't been to church in years. Maybe it's just been like, it's been two weeks and I'm feeling a little guilty. Do people notice I haven't been around? You know, whatever that is, like there's room and there's invitation for you to come and to continue to change and to continue to meet Jesus and to continue to let him come. And like we sang about, do it again and again and again. He wants to change us and transform us. You see, Jesus had so many different moments with his disciples where he invited them into different things. And I want to just share a few of them. So if you're taking notes today, I'm going to kind of reference different scriptures here. We see here that he's like having this invitation with them, right? Where he's like, come eat breakfast with me. Enjoy this. But one of the first invitations that we see that Jesus gives his disciples is in John 1 39, where he says, come and see me. And then it says they came and they saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's Matthew chapter 11, 29. Jesus invites them to come and to rest in him. He invites them to come and see, to open their eyes. He invites them to come and rest. We see, and we read about a few weeks ago in John chapter 21, the parable of the great banquet where Jesus invites them to come and dine and and to eat with him. And he's talking to them about food and the importance of meals and all of these things. And then we see in Matthew chapter 25, where it says that the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed to my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Inherit the kingdom. Jesus invites us to inherit the kingdom. He invites us to come, to see, to remain with him, to eat with him, commune with him, all to share in his suffering, to share in his glory, to inherit the kingdom. There is so much invitation that Jesus has for us. You know, this meal when he's sitting with him face to face. The other thing that I love about it is that Jesus continues to show up into these spaces that might be seen as just like mundane, that might be seen as today we might say, okay, this is like secular, right? This is like the workplace. This is my home. And, and we, have, we start to compartmentalize things as we follow Jesus where we kind of show up and we're like, this is sacred, holy ground. This is where I'm going to worship and glorify God. And then we step out of these doors on Sundays and we show up to our spaces on Mondays and we're like, okay, I'm not at church anymore. Well, Jesus showed up in those everyday spaces and there was nothing separating it for him. There was no difference between the sacred and the secular. It was both. Everywhere he went, he said, this is holy ground. Once again, Jesus is taking a simple meal, a simple conversation, 
And he is turning it into one of the most transformative, profound moments of Peter's life. Any single moment, Jesus can show up and he might have an invitation for you. You never know the times where you're going to encounter him in such a way where you leave and you're like, I'm changed now. I am not the same. And maybe you've had those moments and it's been a long time. Maybe recently there's been a moment. I don't know. But all I know is that there's an invitation there for us to continue to say yes to Jesus, to continue to sit with him face to face long enough to encounter him in that type of way. I think about even the idea of of, of the time that it might have taken. Not only did they catch the fish that they were eating, but they cooked it on a fire. How many of us still have that kind of patience every day to sit long enough to wait until the meal is over to have that conversation with Jesus? They spent a long time with him waiting in those simple spaces that Jesus didn't see as secular. He didn't see as separate. He saw as sacred and he saw as holy. And this brings me back to to that idea that Jesus takes the ordinary and he makes it all these extraordinary moments that he uses for his purpose and for his plan. He looks at things and says, this one thing that you once thought was simple, it's now sacred and now it's holy and I'm going to do something with that. There's no longer a divide. This is what Jesus did when he left heaven and he came down to earth. He said, the divide is no more. Here's what I want us to catch here. And we talked about this a little bit last week. And it's one of those things that when we plan out like what we're teaching on, it's like months in advance. And sometimes things go the way I think they will. And other times I feel like the Lord just starts shaping things. And today was one of those where I'm like, man, as we wrap up this series today, this wasn't really where I thought we would land. But I just see the Lord's hand in that. And one of the things that I want us to catch again and really grasp is that all work, everything that we do is holy. And this simple, what might seem as a simple theological conviction, I really believe is necessary for us to start connecting people to Jesus, to not separate, to not divide who we are in different places and spaces, but to recognize that we bring our doing and our being into everywhere that we go. We cannot separate them. Our being is connected to our doing. They can't be separated, even though sometimes we would like them to. However, with that, our identity is also not our work, right? If I were to ask you, like, what do you do? And, and it's hard because that is what we do, right? Like, if I met you for the first time, I'm usually like, oh, what do you do here in Madison? Are you a student? Are you working? You know, what, what do you do? We just ask that naturally because that, that helps us learn more about someone's life. But we know that, that we are not what we do. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus when we say yes to the invitation of following him and surrendering our lives to him. And we will do different things at different times with our lives. So although our work is not who we are and it's not our identity, we cannot disconnect our doing and our being and recognizing that when we step into our workplaces, when we step into our friendships and our relationships, we bring our whole selves to the table. Jesus didn't just come as he wasn't just fully human or just fully divine. He was both. And he invites us to then come as humans, as flesh, to usher in his presence into the spaces that he leads us. We need to learn to have that same theological conviction that some things they are not secular, they're not sacred, but we bring our whole selves, our whole being into everywhere that we go. And we too can take these ordinary moments, these simple meals, these simple conversations and turn it into a sacred transformative space where God is welcomed, where God's presence is invited and where God can move. The next thing that I want to talk about is this idea that Jesus gives us this invitation to change and to keep on changing and keep on changing and keep on changing. Does anybody else feel like that is good news today? 
that there is second chances, that we can keep changing, that who you are in this moment when you leave this room, you can decide I don't want to be that way anymore if it's some way that you shouldn't be, (laughs) right? You can wake up tomorrow and you can say, I'm no longer going to be who I was two weeks ago. You can change, not on your own strength, not on your own power, but with surrender to Jesus and his plan for your life. Names are important here. So Peter's name was Cephas, and there's an encounter that he has with Jesus where he says, changes his name, and then he says, Peter, now I'm going to call you Peter, which means like little rock or little stone. And he says, and it's on this rock that I'm going to build my church. And Peter was one of the people that went and built the church. God changed his name. And at some point, I'm going to do a whole like teaching on just the life of Peter, and we don't have time for that today. Study his life. It's incredible, phenomenal what God does through his life. But this name change is significant, right? Our names matter. Our names mean something. I was thinking, as I was thinking about names, I was reminded of a couple things of when one of my brothers was born. So I have three brothers. And when one of them was born, my mom had picked out the name Samuel, which I'm sorry if your name's Samuel, um, because there's this is nothing to do with with the name at all. My mom had picked up the name Samuel. So this is mid late late 90s. Uh, we grew up like outside of Chicago. Both my parents are from Chicago. And so there's a great divide in Chicagoland. And that is you are either a South Sider and you're a White Sox fan, or you're a North Sider and you're a Cubs fan. At this time, Sammy Sosa was a very popular baseball player for the Cubs, which my family was not Cubs fans. We are ride or die Chicago White Sox fans, South Siders, like that's it. And so my, my poor mother, who she, she is alive and well, she had went, like pregnancy, like labor wasn't good. So she, I feel like I have to clarify that. Sometimes I tell these stories and then people are like, wait, you never told the end. Is your mom alive? Yeah, she's alive. My mother is alive. But at this time she is in surgery, like labor didn't go well. She's in surgery, like critical condition. And now like surely my parents had talked about the name of my brother before this moment. But well, my mom like is in surgery. My dad's like having this panic attack. Of course, he's sad he might lose his wife. Like that was tragic. He's having a panic attack because he's starting to think that, oh my gosh, if his name is Samuel, people might call him Sammy. Our last name is Sawchuk. Sammy Sawchuk, Sammy Sosa. There's no way my son can have a name that sounds close to a Cubs player. Like that's how dramatic it was. And so they changed his name to Michael. And so my mom comes out and she has a son named Michael. So that's how he got named was through that moment because it was like so much of like, there's no way that his name can be associated with like the wrong sports team. So dramatic, so dramatic. But you think of those moments where we know like names matter, names have meaning, they hold weight. And Jesus knew that. And so oftentimes you see in scripture and God did this in the Old Testament where he would change people's names from Abram to Abraham. And it happened time and time again where he said, I'm going to give you a new name and a new identity. Because you can change and you don't have to be known by who you were known for before. You don't have to identify with the same things you identified before, but you are a new creation in Christ Jesus and you can walk changed and you can live in a new identity today. And we still have that invitation as we sit here in this room. That if you're in a place where you can look back and there's things that have happened and you're like, I don't want to be associated with that anymore. You can walk and you can live in the new identity that you have as a son, as a daughter, as someone inherited that is inheriting the kingdom of heaven and invited to usher in his presence. Jesus, when he's talking to Peter here, he's talking to a changed person and he's inviting him 
to change again. You see, we as people following Jesus, one of the best things that we can do is to become really comfortable with admitting we're wrong, admitting we've messed up, and being willing to make it right and change. Because it's going to happen. And Peter, someone that was following Jesus closely, that walked with him closely, he continued to have these moments where he messed up. He continued to have these moments where he did things that were just like, how could you do that? (laughs) Like you were with Jesus face to face. Like how could you deny him? But he did. And if he could do it, how much more are we going to be likely to do that? But to know that Jesus is still inviting him to change and he's inviting him now to partner with him to make disciples and fulfill his great commission. And that's the next invitation we see here is that Jesus, knowing your background, knowing your past, knowing where you've been through is looking at you and saying, I want to keep changing you. I want to keep working on you. There is hope. There is a future. And I'm now inviting you to come and to join me in this mission of making disciples of all nations and ushering in the kingdom of heaven. That is good news for us today. But here's the thing. When he's talking to his disciples, We see that there's the great commission that he gives that's found in Matthew 28, where he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything that I have told you, and I will be with you always. This is what is known as the great commission. And he's kind of walking them through what it looks like to be a disciple and to make disciples. But notice here, he was talking to people that first, they were his disciples. A disciple is someone who's in the process of becoming like their teacher. A better word for it is really like an apprentice, someone that is a student of a specific person. And their goal is to become like that person. And so he's talking to people that have already committed to him. And he's saying, now do as I did. Do as I did. We see here in Mark chapter 3, 13 through 14, we see that first kind of invitation and one of the first invitations of the gospel that says, come and be with me. That's the first really step that we see of discipleship is come, be with me. And then after that, in Matthew 4, 19, if you're taking notes, or in Mark chapter 1, 16 through 18, there's the next invitation where Jesus says, come and be with me. And then he invites his disciples. He says, come and follow me. Come and be with me and then come and follow me. Then we see in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38, Jesus tells them and gives them this next invitation where he says, now come take up your cross, die to yourself, leave the old behind. So it starts with this, come be with me, spend time with me, come follow me, start to learn what I'm doing, then take up your cross. And then he finishes in Matthew 28, and it's also found in John 20 or Mark 16, where at the end of the gospels, he says, go and make disciples. Those are the invitations that he gives us of if you want to be a disciple, this is what you're going to do. You're going to come. You're going to be with me. You're going to follow me. You're going to take up your cross. You're going to die to yourself. And then you're going to go and make disciples, which means you're going to go and you're going to be with people. You're going to spend time with people. Some that you like, some that you might not like so much. You're going to go and you're going to invite people to come and follow you as you follow me then you're going to go and you're going to invite people to not just follow you or hang out with you, but to count the cost of dying to themselves and taking up the cross to follow Jesus. And this is where I think as Christians and followers of Jesus, this is where things can get hard for us. It's because there is a cost to the cross. When Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, he gave us his life. It was painful, but it was powerful right? His body was broken, yet it was the most beautiful exchange of love that ever was. So although making disciples is a beautiful thing that we get to partner with Jesus in doing, we also have to partner with helping people count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus and then for them to go and to do the same. 
Jesus was making disciples in the mundane, in the simple. He was doing it everywhere he went because he was bringing him full, his full self everywhere that he went. Here's the thing. Each and every one of you today, you are making disciples. You may not know that's what you're doing, but you are. Now, whether or not it's a disciple of Jesus, I don't know. But you're making disciples. You are making disciples. There are people that are with you. There are people that are following you. They're listening to what you're saying. They're watching what you're doing. There's people that that they are looking at that and then they're replicating what you do. It's just a matter of, is that a disciple of Jesus? Is that a disciple of Jesus? And as Christians, we have to be careful. Is it not only like, is it a disciple of Jesus, but are we making disciples of ourselves? This is where things get real tricky, right? Of recognizing like the goal of this is when I'm discipling people, like I really don't need any more Abbeys walking around this world. Like I'm already constantly trying to like, Lord, rid me of my flesh, rid me of myself. Like we don't need more people worshiping exactly the way that you worship or reading the Bible exactly the way that you read the Bible or praying the exact way that you pray, but rather we need to make space and create ways for people to come and encounter the living God so that he can be with them. He can change them and transform them and then empower them to do the unique individual things that he has called them to do as they play their part in the communal call that we have to make disciples and see the kingdom come. So then what do we see? Well, God demonstrated himself for us that while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus to come and to die for us. He demonstrated love more than anything. The best way that we are going to continue to make disciples and help people learn to love and follow Jesus is to demonstrate the love of God. I officiate a lot of weddings and, you know, you always have to like talk about love when you officiate weddings. Believe it or not, you talk about that. And one of the things, you know, that it's hard sometimes when you're like, what is love? Like, because we use the word all the time. Like we say love constantly about all sorts of things. It's like you talk about loving your food and your grandma. And I'm like, well, I hope that's a little different. Like, I hope you love your grandma in a different type of way than you love like the meal that you just ate, but we just throw it out. Like, I love it. I love it. I love it. But Psalms 8613 says, for great is your love towards me. In Romans 8.39, it says there's no height or depth, anything else in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. The love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, Jesus, he embodies love. Jesus was love. God demonstrated his love that he sent Jesus, and then Jesus comes, and he was the embodiment of love. And so we see here that Jesus is face-to-face with Peter, and he asks him three times, do you love me? Now, something shifted for me when I was reading through this a couple weeks ago, because the first two times he uses agape love, which is a sacrificial type of love. So he's saying, do you agape love me? Like, do you sacrificially love me? Which at first I would say like, well, wouldn't that be the one you ask last? But the third time he switches it and he says, do you phileo love me? Which is the type of friendship type of love. Now, initially, I would think of like, well, wouldn't it start with friendship? And you would say like, do you love me as a friend? And then you would say, are you willing to lay down your life for me? But he starts by saying, do you love me? Do you agape love me? Do you sacrificially love me? And they ask him again, do you agape love me? Do you sacrificially love me? And he's like, yes, yes. And then he says, well, do you love me as a friend? Now, here's the thing. He's recognizing here that there was something in Peter that he's like, I'm here for the cause, right? If this is it, like I want to be on the right team. And Jesus is saying, but do you also want to have relationship with me? Do you also want to have intimacy with me? 
You see, Jesus wants to not just do good things and great things for us or us for him, but he wants to usher into the kingdom of heaven with us. He wants us to be in relationship with him. Because here's the thing. When you're really friends with someone, you start to understand love in a whole new type of way. My friends can say things to me that nobody else can say. My friends can offend me the way that nobody else can offend me. And I'm going to forgive them because I was like, well, you're my friend. Like we have history together. We have relationship. Where if a stranger says something foul to me, like as I'm walking down the road and I'm never going to see them again, I'm going to be like, bye and walk away. But there's something about a friend, a friend that is so close that they're like family, that they're like a brother, that they're like a sister, where now it's not only am I willing to lay down my life for you, but I just want to be with you and spend time with you. And that's what Jesus is looking for in relationship with us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Jesus is asking him, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And Peter's saying, yes, I love you. It's pointing again that there is a communal call for us that Jesus wants us to come and to make disciples, but he also wants to look at you directly tonight face to face and say, do you love me? Are you willing to lay down your life? for the sake of the cross, for making disciples? Are you willing to center your life around that? And then in that, do you want friendship with Jesus? Because we are preparing for eternity in heaven. Man, when I show up, like, I want to know Jesus. I want to have relationship with him. I want to have that deep type of intimacy. You see, the good thing is, is that Jesus was a demonstration of this. But for us to experience the great love that God wants us to, and for us to then go and show that to other people, we need each other. Let me talk about it like this for just a moment. When do you experience love the most? When do you give love the most? More times than not, it's in the context of relationship. One of the greatest passages that we look at to define love is 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels and have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of, of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I can have the faith to move mountains, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. It says here, I can give all that I have to the poor, everything. Like you could give all like $10,000 we're trying to raise to the poor. And you could be like, here you go, have all my money. But if you have not love, you have nothing. You gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Love does not keep record of wrong. It rejoices in the truth, protects, trusts, perseveres. Love never fails. This is what love is. We have the joys of following Jesus as we are a part of the body of Christ. We have the joy of making disciples as a part of the body of Christ, to know that we each have a role and a responsibility, but we need each other to experience love and to show love. A couple ways to think about this. When they were catching the miraculous catch of fish, and, and we talk about that representing like all the people that God wants to bring into relationship with him. We often think of fishing how we do in our current cultural moment, right? We think of a pole. Here in the States, most people, it's like they're fishing out with a pole. But they would have been fishing with a giant net on the side of the boat that not one person could pull up on their own. They would have needed to work together to bring in the miracle. 
My friends, today we need to learn to work together to bring in the miracle, to love and to share the gospel with the people around us. But here's here's what I want to talk about. When do you experience patience? When do you get to show patience? When someone really annoys you. When do you get to forgive like Jesus forgave? When someone really offends you. When do you get to show kindness? The way that Jesus showed kindness to you, it's usually when someone is not so nice and kind to you. See, sometimes we can sit and we can pray like, God, I want to show your love. I want to experience your love. And then maybe it's an annoying coworker or classmate. And you're like, well, not like this. Like this was not what I was thinking about when I thought about sharing your love. But here's the thing is I believe that one of the best ways that we can go and we can make disciples is by embodying the presence of Jesus and embodying the love that he gave and he died for and demonstrating that in our everyday lives. He demonstrated, Jesus demonstrated his love for us. that He gave his life. He forgave people that wronged him. He showed compassion to those that deserved none of it. And we too, when we talk about the invitation to come and to sit at the table and to invite people into relationship with Jesus, we gotta be ready to say, I'm gonna invite in that I will have greater forgiveness, that I will have greater compassion, that I will have greater kindness for those around me. We learn to receive and to give love through relationship. But as we wrap this up today, I wanna go back to Peter because Jesus demonstrated so much grace for Peter. So much grace for Peter, so much forgiveness for Peter, so much compassion for him. Where like part of me wonders, I'm like, what wasn't recorded in this conversation? Like, was there any mention of like, bro, like I know you denied me. Like I would wanna say, I told you so in that moment. But instead he's like, well, do you still love me? Yeah, I know you want to give it all for me, but like, do you just want to be my friend? Do you still want to eat with me? Do you still want to have a relationship with me? Because at the end of the day, I think that points back to Jesus' desire. That at the end of the day, he longs to be with you. He longs to commune with you. He longs to sit around a fire long enough to cook the fish and eat it with you. And he's willing to come and transform you and give you another invitation time and time again so that you will do that. And then we get the joy and the honor of helping other people do the same. So I want to invite you to stand today. And as we end this series of talking about the table, to just remind you that the invitation is open for you to come and to sit and to have a relationship with Jesus. The Bible tells us that if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and we confess with our mouth in his death and resurrection, that we can say yes to relationship with him. And we are saying yes to relationship for all of eternity. And this is a gift and this is beautiful. The invitation is yours for the taking today. So then the question is, will you answer the call to go and to make disciples of all nations? Will you answer the call to forgive and to love and to demonstrate what Jesus demonstrated for us? Are you committed to changing and continuing to change so that you can partner with Jesus and seeing his kingdom come? And so we're going to sing and just have a few moments to just respond. And I just want to invite you that if you're in a place where you're like, God, like, I know that you've changed me before, but I still have these things, these things that maybe I'm identifying with. And I just need a moment to lay down at your feet, to take time and to pray and say, God, come change me, transform me. 
If you're in a place where you're like, God, I'm ready to go, would you invite him to come and his Holy Spirit to just empower you in these moments, transform you so that you can go and make disciples. But I wanna do this as we enter into this time is I just wanna pray like a commissioning prayer to you as you go out today. And so if you're comfortable, just as a way to say like, God, I'm surrendering, I receive, would you just place your hands out in front of you today? And I'm just gonna pray this prayer. Lord, we come before you ready to go and to make disciples. So God, I pray that as we say yes today to your call, that you would clarify it again and again. God, I pray that as we say yes today to demonstrating your love and being in relationship with you, Lord, that you would give us opportunities this week to do just that, to show compassion, to show mercy, to show grace. God, would you empower us with your Holy Spirit to continue to change and to be transformed time and time again. God, would you help us to not identify with who we were in the past, the old names, the old things, the old identities, but would you remind us in this moment that we are a new creation, that we have a new name in Christ Jesus, and that the same way that you changed Peter time and time again, you want to do that here in this moment. And more than anything, God, we thank you today that you want to be with us. And so would we walk from this place? Would we move from this place in deep communion with you, God, through your Holy Spirit, we pray. Would you be with us as you promised to be with us always? Would we feel your presence always as we go and make disciples? It's in your name we pray.